welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Bibles, uh, turn to Isaiah 9 uh, if you would like. There's other passages that we'll be looking at this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 10 would be one of those that we will consider. Uh, John 14 is one that we will consider this morning, so perhaps you want to turn there. Uh, Perhaps you want to write those things down. Either way, uh, we are continuing our series this morning, Hope Has a Name. We'll finish it up on Christmas Sunday, and we'll see that uh, we'll talk about the kingdom that has no end. But this morning, we're talking about hope has a name, namely the Prince of Peace. We've seen that Christ is our wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. And this morning, we will see the Prince of Peace. Of peace. One of the most popular Christmas wishes that at least I've heard over the years, uh, if people are like the news channel or something like that is in the mall asking people, what do you wish for Christmas? A common phrase that you hear is that they wish for peace on earth or world peace or, or something like that. I read a New York Times article. It's an old article, but nevertheless, I think some of these statistics uh, still show themselves correct. Um, It was an article that just was listing out some statistics. And listen to some of this, um, talking about peace. And perhaps when we talk about peace, we think the absence of war or something like that. Here here are some of these statistics that um, an, an article in the New York Times brought out. What is war, was the question. And simple definition, war is defined as an active conflict that has claimed more than a thousand lives. Next question, has the world ever been at peace, meaning the absence of war? Over the past recorded history, 3,400 years that humans have been at least recording history in some way, shape, or or form, uh, that we have tight historical records, that, that we have been at peace for about 268 of those years, meaning that about 8% of recorded history has been a time of absence of war. So this means that over 92% of recorded history has been marked with some sort of war, not to even mention some sort of, of conflict. How many people have died in war in these times of lack of peace as the world defines it? At least 108 million people were killed in wars in the 20th century. And estimates for the total number killed in war throughout all of human history range anywhere from 150 million to 1 billion War has several effects, they go on to say, on population, including decreasing the birth rate by taking men away from their wives. The reduced birth rate during World War II is estimated to have caused a population deficit of more than 20 million people. In our own country, we have been at war, some say, and according to these, uh, at least standards of war and peace, and what is peace? That's the lack of war, or the, the, the absence of war. Our own country has been at war roughly 93% of our history. So it's no long, it's no, no wonder why we cry that we wish for peace on earth or some sort of world peace. A few observations from those few statistics there is that peace is difficult to obtain. Would you agree with that? Peace is difficult to obtain, and even more so, it's difficult to maintain. 
Because if you think about this, even after these times of war, still some 93, 94% of our history has been marked with another conflict that the wars and the, and the treaties and the surrenders never result in everlasting peace. Peace is difficult to obtain, and it's perhaps even harder to maintain. Peace is not easy to come by, not to mention the struggle for peace in our own homes, in our own souls, and perhaps even in our own churches. Peace is difficult to obtain, much less maintain. So imagine the promise and feel the grace of this promise in Isaiah 9. Feel the hope of this prophet Isaiah, these words spoken by the Lord through this prophet Isaiah, that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and on his shoulders will be the governance of the world, and this child would not only be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, but the Prince of Peace. Remember, the people of God at this point are in the middle of conflict. They're in the middle of war. They're being overthrown by the Assyrians and in the process of that at that time. Not only are they lacking uh, uh, governing peace, but spiritually their nation is a wreck because they're trying to make alliances with Assyria and worshiping other gods. They're not listening to the prophets. And here you would think, if I were God, I would say I'm done with you. Here God gives them hope. And says, fear not, little flock, I'm sending you hope. And hope has a name. He's Messiah. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He is the Prince of Peace. This Messiah, Emmanuel, Jesus will be the one who executes and administers peace on behalf of the people. Here's how one theologian described Prince of Peace. He says, this title, this last title, Prince of Peace, refers to the abundance, listen to this, and the wholeness of the restoration of the kingdom to come. The title prince is not necessarily a a title of lesser authority in the government than king, but rather includes a larger group of ruling officials. Not only will the coming son of David be king, but he will also be a ruler who ushers in a period of, get this word, shalom, peace, which means peace of welfare, community. Shalom means wholeness for the kingdom. What hope? The promised coming one will put an end to our sin and misery and restore to us peace forever. The peace that we lost in the garden, the peace that we lost because of sin, will be obtained and maintained forever. Now, we could stop there and say glory to God, but as we look around the world, we say, what happened? We look at the world, and we even see our churches, and we've even seen our own lives, and perhaps we ask the question, okay, we get this promise, where peace is coming, the Prince of Peace has come, the Prince of Peace has come, but where is peace? The the prophet promised peace, (laughs) and the angels announced peace. Do you remember the announcement? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. So we see the promise. We see the announcement. The angels proclaim, the angels from heaven proclaim, this is the one, but the stats seem to prove that peace is nowhere to be found. Perhaps we think we see the the glory of the announcement of the angels, and we think, what a dud. 
what a dud. Where is it? I remember the story. I'm just thinking about this right now. This is not in the notes, so I hope I get the story right. I remember the story of uh, my grandfather going uh, to Old Faithful. The guys are Old Faithful. And that was, you know, have anybody ever been to Old Faithful? Um, that's in uh, Yellowstone National Park. It's the most consistent geyser, but it's not the biggest. And so the story goes that they drove out there to see this geyser, and, and there they are waiting for the hour or 90 minutes, and there the geyser goes, and it's not the biggest one. And the story goes that his response was, what a dud. <laughs> There's bigger ones out there. Where, where, where was the promise of the most famous geyser in all the world? And so I feel like that coming to this promise of glory to God in the highest on earth, peace. What a dud. For 93% of our history, it has not been peace. Where is peace? I feel like the people on Jeremiah's day, they're crying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Perhaps even if you're unbeliever or have talked to unbelievers, you're saying the Prince of Peace has come, but where is it? Look at this place. Look at my life. Look at the church. Where is peace? What a dud. Even in the gospels, you don't have to look very far to ask the question, where is peace? As the announcement of Jesus' birth, do you remember as the wise men come to King Herod, that did anything but cause peace, but it stirred up the sword. Where the people, Herod decreed that all of these infants must be killed. He was after Jesus to, to take him out because he didn't want any opposition to his rule. Then we see Jesus and his family fleeing down to Egypt to avoid this persecution. So even right after the angel's announcement, Jesus and his family are on the run. His birth brought with us, with it, unrest from rulers, both the worldly and the religious. We see that when Jesus goes preaching the kingdom, it causes unrest and lack of peace among the religious. So where is peace? Was it a dud? Either he was wrong or our understanding of peace needs adjusting to understand what the promise is. Peace is shalom. It is even more than the absence of war or conflict, but it's the presence of wholeness. And so we're, all, so, so, so we're starting to ask this question, can there be peace? Can there be shalom? Can there be wholeness, wholeness even in the presence of conflict? Or does there have to be the absence of conflict and the absence of war in order for peace to be? Can we have peace not as the world offers? Well, I have good news for you. We ask, where is peace? Jesus gives us the answer. So where is peace? Here's the next thing we want to kind of tease out. The peace that is promised is peace not as the world gives. The peace that promise, that, that is promised is not as the world gives. Don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' word for it. Listen to what he says in John chapter 14. We'll just read verse 27 and on. He says, peace I leave you. So he's told his disciples that he's leaving. They're kind of starting to understand that he will die. And so he's giving the promise of the resurrection, the promise that he will send the Holy Spirit. Verse 27, peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Maybe you want to underline in this Bible or just put it into your, into your noggin. Not as the world gives you, do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. 
So Jesus, even towards the end of his life, is promising to his disciples that here the Prince of Peace is saying, yes, I will give you peace, but this is not the peace that the world has to offer. This is not the shalom that you'll ever experience under worldly governments. This is a better peace. And so the question that we kind of want to work through, where is peace? If we're looking by the definitions of the world, yes, it's hard to obtain and even harder to maintain. And we look at statistics and say, where is peace? Was this a dud? Was he a liar? Or was he pointing us to a better peace? And we think, yes, because Jesus said so. This peace I give you is not as the world gives. So where is peace to be found? Let's start to tease this out. The the announcement of the angels. Are are you with me? Glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace among whom his favor rests. Where is peace to be found? Who will experience this peace? Are those on whom the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ has come. Those who are under his grace, those, as we will see, who are under his blood, they will experience peace. They will experience shalom. This is good news for all people. Isaiah chapter 9, even the Gentiles will come in. So this is for all, all who would believe and receive, give the right to become children of God. Who does his favor rest on all people, particularly all people who come to faith in Jesus Christ? Those people will experience peace. So what is the good news? Where is peace to be found under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? How do we find ourselves under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because Ephesians chapter 2 says he himself is our peace. How is he our peace? Colossians chapter 1. You can turn there or just listen as I read this. Colossians chapter 1 verses 19 to 23. Colossians chapter 1 verses 19 23. For in him, remember, Jesus, he himself is our peace. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, here it is, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, get this, by taking the sword for us in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So, so, so here's the point. Here's the promise. The promise is peace. Jesus himself is our peace. Don't be afraid. It's a peace that this world, that's better than the peace that this world offers. Are you, are you with me? This is the best news in the entire world. That there has been peace made by the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. The reason he took on flesh, Hebrews chapter 2. The reason he took on flesh is because we have flesh so that he might shed his blood for our sins. His name is Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. How will he do it? By going to the cross to defeat sin and death in the grave once and for all. He has made peace by the blood of the cross. So where is our peace found? It's found in Jesus. Romans chapter one, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified 
by faith. We're justified by faith. So who's under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Those who have trusted him by faith. Those are the folks that are experiencing the peace of God, even in the presence of conflict in this world. Those are the ones who are experiencing shalom, even in the presence of conflict. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with our God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in this hope, this grace on which we stand. Jesus has made peace by the blood, on the blood of the cross. Jesus has made peace with God. Jesus has brought peace with God. He listened to what one theologian says. And he's giving them a peace, his disciples, you and I, those who have trusted in Jesus, that the world cannot offer. This peace will soothe their hearts when the world around them is in turmoil. The peace Jesus gives comes through his defeat of mankind's greatest foes, sin, death, and Satan. Satan has nothing to bring against Jesus and will be defeated. Peace for us came through the greatest violence. Peace with God was delivered when Jesus offered up his life to be brutally slaughtered. D.A. Carson reflects on this great irony saying this, The Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, was won and maintained, so it was obtained and maintained by a brutal sword. Not a few Jews through the Messi- thought the Messianic peace would have to be secured by a still mightier sword. Instead, it was secured by an innocent man who suffered and died at the hands of the Romans, of the Jews, and all of us. And by his death, he effected for his own followers peace with God, and therefore the peace of God which transcends all understanding. That's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace because Jesus fought the war and fought the fight so that we could have his peace. So brothers and sisters, glory to God in the highest and on earth in your hearts, peace among whom are under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this peace that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is an old hymn called, I Hear the Accuser Roar. Listen listen to what you have in Christ. Listen to the peace in our soul. I hear the accuser roar of ills that I have done. I know them well and thousands more, but Jehovah findeth none. Sin, Satan, death press near to harass and to appall, to take our peace. Let but my risen Lord appear, and backward they go and fall. There in his book I bear a more than conqueror's name, a soldier, son, and fellow heir who fought and overcame. His be the victor's name who fought our fight alone. Triumph saints no honor claim. Their conquest was his own. To sum all of this up, peace is obtained and maintained through Jesus Christ. And this is not the peace that the world has to offer, but this is a peace that even comes amidst conflict. Let's continue to tease this out. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. I want you to see this. Because even if you're like me, you're still thinking, okay, I know this, I have this peace that passes understanding in my soul. But you and I both know that following Jesus 
brings conflict. Following Jesus brings, brings conflict. And Jesus prom- he promises peace, but, but listen to what else our Christ says. Because the disciples of Jesus believed that when the Messiah came, that the Prince of Peace would bring political freedom and material prosperity. So either it's a dud or we're looking in the wrong place. But listen to what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 10. This one kind of stumped me a little bit as I'm preparing this week. The Prince of Peace has come. Then Jesus says, do not think I have come to bring peace to earth. What? (laughs) You're the Prince of Peace. That's the promise. The angels announce it. You promised it. I'll give you peace. John 14, Matthew 10. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've come to bring, not, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves a son and daughter more than more than me, whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And, and so we know these truths. Perhaps it was some sort of, of dud. No, no it's, it's a different kind of peace. It's, it's peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's peace obtained by, by the blood of Christ. And so now we have this peace. But, but we still know that even in this world, you will have trouble. That you will have conflict. That you will, because of your allegiance to Christ, find that even in your own life, you will experience conflict. Listen to this. Both the secular and church celebrations of Christmas, Tim Keller says this, focus almost entirely on sweetness and light. They're all about how the coming of Christ means peace on earth, and, and certainly it does. But it's not that simple. He goes on to say, how does a surgeon... Bring peace to your body if it has a tumor in it. The surgeon spills your blood, cuts you open, because that's your only path to health. How does a therapist help a downcast, depressed person, Tim Keller says? Often she does it by bringing up the past, getting the patient to confront painful memories and terrible feelings. The surgeon and therapist often have to make you feel worse before they make you feel better. And so when Jesus says, I've not come to bring peace for a sore, don't have this think that sometimes somebody's talking about two sides of his mouth. Uh, understand this, brothers and sisters, that, that peace comes through the sword, through conflict. Uh, th- think of this in your own lives. Think of this in, in your own hearts. Do you, do you remember the conflict and, and, and the wrestling of, of coming to Christ? That peace comes after the inner conflict of repenting of sin. That I don't want to let go of my former life. And maybe that's you right now. You're at the conflict. Do I want the peace of God, peace this world has to offer? Jesus says, there's a conflict there. Are you going to lay down your sin? Are you going to go through that sword, that surgery, bringing up all those terrible things and confess that sin? Go through that inner conflict so that you will have peace. Peace coming through the sword. Peace comes after the inner conflict of of repentance. And furthermore, we see that peace comes after the conflict of submission and the conflict of allegiance. Here's what I mean by this. 
You know, this. Jesus says, I have not come to bring peace but a sword. What he's talking about this is not peace with God, but he's talking about the conflict that you will experience in this world as a follower of Christ. Do you experience conflict in your own soul as you seek to follow Jesus and make decisions that are no, no are going to cost you in this world? Whether it's in relationships, whether it's in this world, in jobs and conversations that you have, do you ever experience conflict and a lack of peace because you're trying to decide, who am I going to be allegiant to? The Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about here. Will you take up your cross and follow me? Will you experience conflict in this world so that you will have the peace that I offer? The everlasting peace, not the momentary peace. Will you live under this peace that I have obtained through the cross of Jesus Christ? Or will you continue to go back to sin? You remember that when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, that conflict, am I ready to give my life for Christ? And you repented of your sins, you're trusted in in Jesus Christ. Now you continue to experience that conflict of submission and that conflict of allegiance because not only does it bring this inner turmoil of will I be allegiant to Christ but follow along with me, doesn't it bring you conflict with the world? Claim the, claim the exclusivity of Jesus and you quickly realize that you're left out of some things and some conversations. I'll tell people I'm a pastor and all of a sudden conversations change. Have you experienced that before? Maybe not as a pastor, but as, as a Christian. You live a life pleasing to Christ and you will quickly find that you're at odds with the culture. So the message of the gospel will bring hostility because you will be deemed by the world as intolerance. And so here's my point in saying all this, is what is Jesus talking about? You have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as you live under that peace, that shalom, and that wholeness that he provides for you, you will find conflict in this world. So don't be surprised when you have conflict. Don't be surprised when you have trouble. That's not that his promise has failed you. That just means you're living under the shalom of Jesus Christ. And you will have peace with this world. Jesus says that will, that's how it will be. You will not have peace, Matthew 10, 34, as the world defines. Jesus says, I give you peace, not as this world gives. But yet we know that as Jesus comes into our lives, we also know, so we have conflict in this world. Keep following with me here. We are called to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will inherit the earth. Will inherit the earth. Peace is costly. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 10. Peace is costly. Take up your cross and follow me. So here's what Jesus is telling us. We can see it in Jesus, how he brought peace to us through the agony of a cross so that we should not be surprised when conflict comes upon us. How can we get the resolve to face the sword of trials and difficulties? Only by seeing how Jesus 
faced the sword for us. How did peace come to your soul? Genesis 3 describes as peace is broken in the Garden of Eden, that what was guarding the tree of life after that? An angel with a flaming sword. The only way for eternal life, the only way for salvation was for someone to take the sword and live. The sword of God's judgment, the sword of God's wrath, only then could we have peace with God. So a flaming sword was put in place to guard the way back to eternal life. Genesis 3.24 says that. And that was another way to say that the wages of sin is death. And the entire Old Testament is bearing witness to that because every time sin is atoned for in the tabernacle or temple, an animal substitute goes under the knife and dies. He goes under the sword. So when Jesus goes to the cross, he was paying the penalty for our sin. He was going under the sword. The sword came down on him, and it says that he was cut off from the land of the living, Isaiah chapter 53, for the transgression of the people, for that he was punished. And so we need to understand what Christ has done for us. He has taken the sword, so that means if we are to be peacemakers in this earth, we must take up our cross, and that also means you might go under the sword, not under the sword of God's own wrath, for that has been satisfied in Jesus Christ, but we pick up our cross, we follow him, we experience conflict, we experience all those things, but we go low, we lay down our lives for the sake of of peace. And that's what I want to continue with. How are we peacemakers? So peace, we'll piece this together for us. No pun intended. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. Go ahead and flip there. Let me piece this together for us. That peace is not peace the world gives. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have shalom. This peace that we have with God as we claim that only peace comes through God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, it will be, bring conflict in this world. Nevertheless, Jesus says you are to be peacemakers. He's made peace by going under the sword. That means we might have to do the same thing. We will go low in order to be peacemakers. Are you with me? A few more minutes. I therefore, Paul says, Ephesians 4.1, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Look at verse 3. Eager to maintain. Christ has obtained, and now the church is commissioned that our job is to be eager to maintain that blood-bought unity that has been bought on the cross of Jesus Christ. At all costs, even at the loss of life. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So here's the application. One, maybe you're thinking, do I have peace with God? Am I experiencing that peace that passes understanding? You need to answer that question. We all are accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have peace with God? The second question is, are you willing to take on conflict for the sake of the gospel. 
Are you willing to have conflict? Because following Jesus, being under his peace, means that you will have a conflict in this world. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. And perhaps the third thing I want you to consider this morning is, are you willing to be a person of peace? This is what Paul proclaims. We as a church need to be eager, diligent to maintain peace among us. There should be a picture of eternal shalom because we know that Christ is coming back and this world will be filled with his glory, lion with lamb, leopard with goat, perfect shalom through all of eternity. We, we need to realize that our calling is this place, this church, this fellowship of the believers must be a place where people say, that's what shalom looks like. That's what peace looks like. That's what fullness and, and flourishing looks like under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so, so Paul says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. You are unified, one, in the spirit through the Lord Jesus Christ. You're all purchased with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. If any place in the entire universe ought to look like shalom and the presence of flourishing, it should be the local church. If there should be any place where peace is being made, it's where the Prince of Peace is reigning. So we need to ask ourselves, are we people of peace? Are we striving for peace by humbling ourselves? How? Like, like Christ, by going low, by dying to self, by going to the cross. How far should the sons of God like you and I go to make, to make peace? We should go to death in order to make peace. Why? Jesus did. What do we want people to see in the body of Christ? Jesus. What do we want people to experience in the body of Christ? Shalom, peace. And so we should be the lowliest and humblest people in all of the earth, putting to death, Colossians chapter 3 says, whatever is earthly in us and loving one another with brotherly affection, outdoing one another and showing honor, blessing those who persecute us, living in harmony with one another, never being wise in our own sight, never repaying evil for evil, doing what is honorable in the sight of all, living lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and so far as it depends on us, live peaceably with all. All of that is in the scripture. Those aren't all my words. Those are the scripture. It requires a rigorous and disciplined commitment to the Lord. And so we must be people who strive for peace by putting to death sin and striving to maintain the unity that has been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. As we are eager to maintain unity, as we are the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, we have to remember that what God has joined together, this body, you're one in the spirit, one in unity. Let no one tear asunder. And we can tear asunder the body of Christ with, with words, with actions, with attitudes. And that is why we need to be, be eager because that's our default mode. We need to be diligent and work hard at maintaining peace and maintaining unity because it's not like a unity that we get in a club. It's not like unity that we get on a team. 
It's unity in the spirit that has been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. To uproot unity in a church is to belittle the work of Christ. In fact, there's a whole office for unity. It's called a deacon. Did you know that? Acts chapter 6. This unity had crept into the church. They were arguing over who was getting fed first and who was getting the, uh, the food and being served at the tables. And so the apostles stepped in and said, Elders, you, you devote yourselves to the prayer and to the ministry of the word and set aside for you seven men filled with the Holy Spirit and very wise who can bring unity to this situation. And they did. In fact, the first one was Stephen, and he laid down his life for the gospel. He was stoned, and Paul was there to do it. It's people like them in the church who hold fast to the word of truth, who hold fast to the gospel, who maintain unity at all costs, that even the church has an office called deacon whose job is to be sure that unity is maintained in the bond of peace. Not to contribute to disunity, but to be the peacemakers, the prime peacemakers among God's people. Let me finish by saying this. There's more we could say on this. Let me finish by saying this. When we look at this world, do we say, look what has come of this world. Look at all the lack of peace. Or do we say, look who has come into this world. Look at the Prince of Peace. Do we only see ruin or do we see the answer to ruin? Do we only see sin or do we see that his grace is sufficient? What about your own life? What about the lives of others? Do you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ? Are you willing to face conflict for the sake of Jesus Christ? And are you willing to lay down your life to be a peacemaker in this body, in your home, and wherever the Lord would lead you so that people can say, that's what the peace of God that passes all understanding looks like. But because all accounts, there should not be peace. But that's a place of peace. Are you committed as a church, this is part of the application, to be a people who say, that's where people flourish because they have shalom. They have peace, not as the world gives, but as the Lord gives. Let's go ahead and turn to the Lord in prayer.